Psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. Well, welcome. Welcome back to Mike Delic. we got a great episode right now. I have with me Dr. Tanya Mate. How you doing, Tanya? Hi, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this sounds like, it's like almost like we weren't even talking before. We just, they don't know. They, no one's ever going to know. <laughs> Real professional. That's right. So Tanya, Dr. Tanya Mate uh, with me here. She is the... Integration director at the Temple of the Way of Light, naturopathic doctor whose main base of operations is Vancouver. Is that right? That's right. Cool. And I had uh, I had the pleasure of spending like almost two weeks uh, with Dr. Tanya Mate down in Peru at the Temple of the Way of Light, and uh, really grateful to be I think the inaugural group in what is now becoming a staple function at the Temple of the Way of Light. Is that right? Uh, it'll be a sometimes function at least, but I'm going to correct you on one pronunciation before we go on. Go ahead. Uh, you got the Tanya excellent and perfect. Which uh-huh. is, I love it. Uh, right. Mate is also an A-sounding A. a, a. <laughs> wait, 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 say that one more time. Tanya Mate. Mate. And this is, uh, it's, it's not my name, so it's my name now, but yeah. for the people... <laughs> yeah, where hey, where'd that name come from, by the way? From Hungary. So, that sounds yeah. like a familiar name. We we know yeah. that name, right? Isn't there a Dr. Gabor Mate? Oh, and you got the Gabor right too. So he's a stickler for pronunciation. Uh-huh. Uh, and in Hungarian, the emphasis is always on the first syllable of a word, uh, and the A's have accents over them properly. So Gabor Mate uh, is my father-in-law. He's a medical doctor based out of Vancouver as well. Uh, who's done a lot of work with ayahuasca and with addiction and with stress and has kind of developed his own style of what he's now calling compassionate inquiry. Uh, yeah. We'll see if that's just a placeholder name or a name that will last. <laughs> wow, yeah, cool. I mean, yeah, he's he's somebody that is definitely, I guess, uh, of a almost celebrity status uh, within this field. And I remember when uh, we were down at the retreat, I, I came up to you, I think maybe the second day, uh, and I said, yeah, I think I, I know who this Gabor guy is. I've, I've heard of a, a couple of his things. And, um, and we spoke a little bit, and then you had told me about some of his work and some of his books. And now, since I've, I've been back, I mean, I can't get enough of this kind of work. I mean, I've been watching a lot of videos that he's he's uh, given talks on um, in the middle of reading one of his books, uh, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Battles awesome. with uh, Addiction. Yeah, I mean, it's just really, 
fantastic it's it's very like almost mind-blowing when you when you get to be exposed to something that you you kind of thought you you knew about and now there's just a whole new world opened up uh for me in terms of learning about this stuff so it's fantastic and and also i think uh, uh i think for the the time that we spent down there at the temple of the whale light i think for like seven or eight days or so i was calling you tanya until finally <laughs> the last day i was like I'm pretty sure I've been calling you the wrong name. It's Tanya, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's what they call me in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most Americans say Tanya, and I kind of yeah uh, have just given up really correcting people because I, you, if you look me in the eyes and you recognize my face, it doesn't really matter what you call me. <laughs> yeah, I'm really sorry about that. No, I know. I it's I guess it's weird. I have such an easy name. You know, it's just Mike. You know, no one's mm-hmm. ever no one's ever looking at me like, is it? Is it Mickey or, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, totally. Yeah, I take advantage of the pronunciation. <laughs> so so you got you were saying that um, you went on a road trip recently with your husband, Daniel. Uh, mm-hmm. Where did you guys travel to? We're in the middle of a road trip oh, right now, actually. nice, nice. So, yeah, we were at the – I was at the temple for all of July facilitating workshops, and Daniel came down to facilitate the one at the end of the month with me. Uh, and, you know, we were doing some pretty intense and intensive work while we were there and uh, decided it might be good to do something fun. And he loves road trips. Uh, our first date was actually, our first official date in real life was a road trip from New York to New Orleans and back. No. <laughs> yeah. Shut <laughs> we, up. We had been kind of... Uh, Who we is met- this? Man, this is like, that's <laughs> out of a movie. Yeah, we are pretty that's, romantic. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Who does that? That's crazy. Yeah, well, hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, that's that's very impressive. I mean, hey, if anybody's listening out there, the key to a woman's heart, road trip. <laughs> road trip, yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we're, we live in Vancouver, and we're currently in San Francisco, and we spent a couple days in Portland and a couple days, you know, in rivers and lakes and stuff on the way down, and we're going to be here for a while. We've got quite a few friends down here, and then head back up maybe through eastern Oregon or maybe along the coast. Not sure yet. Cool. Those are, I love those kinds of trips. Those are my favorite kind of trips where you kind of don't really exactly know. You have a general idea and you're kind of going with the flow. Yeah. I I love that. That's amazing. I'm jealous in a way because (laughs) here I am. I I got, you know, thrown out of of a serene, peaceful jungle life, being in harmony and one with everything into Mm -hmm. chaotic uh, New York City. And, uh, yeah, it's been challenging, but it's been it's been good. It's been it's glad to be home and uh integration is is the key here. So that's what I've been trying to work on and thanks to you I've been I've been doing very well with that. So so you you were just you know, great. Absolutely fantastic. I I I, I was such I was so um happy and and just felt fortunate and lucky to have you and everybody else that we had there when we went to the temple with that that group of about 20 people that we had um mm-hmm. it, it couldn't have gone any better i felt really like it was just such a, a a great experience and i learned so much and i was wondering so the next you guys had a group of people come in after uh our time there mm-hmm. so that did you have some time in between to kind of like relax and then you had the next group come in what was that like yeah there were actually um i don't know nine or ten days in between the two workshops Mm -hmm. 
so there was there was some time to decompress and and <laughs> freshen up before the next group of people came. Yeah. <laughs> and I had originally planned actually to do a tobacco diet in Iquitos with uh, somebody oh, yeah. working. I remember not you told Mishigo. me that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I decided instead to go back to the temple and stay there and stay in the jungle and keep learning uh, from and with the people working there. Uh, so I participated in five ceremonies for myself, which was a really, really uh, helpful, healing, amazing thing to do in between the two workshops that I was facilitating. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So there's this, this theme of, of you being the, the teacher, but also the student as well. You're always going back and you're always learning more so you can then better help the, the guests that come down that, that are seeking, you know, some of these people, uh, that are, that are in dire circumstances. A lot of them sometimes very desperate and seeking, uh, some kind of, of hope. And, uh, and you're able to give that to them because you're going to these places, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's the most important part is really doing my own work. Mm. Uh, and there's there's this really great video. It's an interview with Anne Shulgin from the MAPS conference in 2013 where she's talking about MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And she talks about, and this is, you know, there's there's differences between all these different psychedelic medicines, but there's also a lot of similarities and parallels. And basically the work means you're facing yourself at the deepest level whether you're doing that through psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy or spirit-assisted ayahuasca work or therapy or yoga or meditation, you're going to the same place and you're facing those deepest, darkest parts of yourself. And so she compares it to there being like a bull in the basement and you go down into the basement and you step inside this bull and you take a look to see what it's like to look from inside that place of your deepest fears and how powerful that is. Uh, but then she also says... Like, nobody who hasn't done that for themselves has the right to try and take anybody else there. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. And I think, you know, I think that's the way that that all, that everyone in a position practicing something professionally and, and trying to heal or help people should should take that uh you know so, so much of uh, western medicine um kind of ignores that uh that that approach you know it's just kind of a prescribe and get out of my office kind of thing yeah um, could you imagine every medical doctor tried every drug they prescribed on themselves <laughs> first <laughs> i'd li- i mean that would be that'd be an interesting game show you know i'd like to see something like that you know yeah um <laughs> So is is that kind of the main difference between being a naturopathic um, naturopathic uh, doctor and being a kind of regular medical doctor? Uh, well, no, I wouldn't say that's the main difference. Definitely in our schooling, they really encourage us to try everything that we're going to give to people on ourselves first, mm-hmm. whether it's diets or whether it's exercise or whether it's cold showers or whether it's herbs or you know any of these things we can I can also prescribe drugs and I don't test those on myself first mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I try to do as many of the things that I might tell someone else to do on myself first um, but really the main difference between naturopathic medicine and western medicine is the philosophy the kind of approach to healing so we get very similar pathology, anatomy, physiology, training, science training as medical doctors, um, similar length of time spent in the program, similar number of clinical hours, but the way that we get taught to think about healing is different. So instead of trying to suppress symptoms, we see symptoms as evidence that the body's trying to heal itself, and we look for ways to support that process and to really treat the root cause of whatever is manifesting. 
How is it possible that there's a contrary to that side of the equation? Like how how is it possible that there's another like another uh, you know field of medicine that that counters that? I think I think that it's so obvious uh, in in the world that we live in today that that's clearly the approach that we need to be taking. Um, you know, I, I guess what what's your take on that? I mean, is there is there's this there's, there's a do you experience resistance from maybe some of your peers or colleagues or you know people that you know in the medical field who are maybe physicians and, and stuff and i know uh gabor uh started as a physician or, or he is mm-hmm. a physician but uh has kind of changed his ways can you speak a little bit to that kind of maybe um uh, people that aren't um taking this approach and how they look at it and view it is there is there a resistance to that Yeah, well, there's a couple layers to that. I mean, just naturopathic medicine, I mean, from our side, like as a professional, uh, I don't know, like a professional statement that everyone in the profession would agree with, we're not at all against Western medicine. It's totally important and it totally has a place. Like, obviously, we need hospitals. Right. Uh, From a personal perspective, like I don't think anyone ever develops something like a drug uh, because they want to hurt people. Like, everybody's coming from the worldview and the paradigm that they think works the best to help people. And when it comes to chronic illness, Western medicine just doesn't have the answers. So people get prescribed drugs, and then they get prescribed drugs to manage the side effects of those other drugs. And at some point, people start to realize that that doesn't work. Uh, but I, re- I don't think it's uh, malintent on the part of anybody. It's just, it's just a system that doesn't function that well. Right, right. Um, as for ayahuasca specific work or psychedelic work in general, uh, you know, there's people who are open to it and there's people who aren't open to it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say beyond that. You know, for me, it's it's my favorite kind of work. It's it's what really helps catalyze deep, deep healing. Yeah. You know, you could spend 20 years in therapy. You could spend 10 years meditating and you could get to these same places. Uh, and for some people, that's the right way to go. Uh, and then for other people, really doing this deep level of healing in a ceremony with these highly skilled, highly trained shaman doctors, uh, it allows something to happen much quicker and at a much deeper level than most people are familiar with. Okay, that's 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 a great answer. And I, I'd love to continue on this point, but I just want to back it up a little bit and we'll come mm-hmm. back to that. Let's just start off like, how did you get to this point? How did you, how did you, how did you... <laughs> get to where you are now like where did it all start i mean where did it all start? yeah where did it all where did it all begin you know did you just yeah. like stumble upon a a shot glass of ayahuasca on a hike one day when I you were 18 not. and then <laughs> <laughs> no i i had some i had some psychedelic experiences as a teenager and you know young enough but nothing was ever guided i was i've been curious for a long time yeah uh but i was trained as a geneticist originally and I worked in fisheries research for a long time before discovering and pursuing naturopathic medicine. Um, and then I had I had this realization one day that, hey, I want to help people. Right. And, and studying fish isn't really letting me do that in the most effective way. Uh, and <laughs> not, I had for a long not, time Not in the been, most direct way, but yeah. Not in the most direct <laughs> way. Like maybe it helps give people some food, but, you know, I'm looking at personal transformation here. Right, right. Um and for a long time, so in my undergrad, I, I studied a lot of art and philosophy as electives. So it was genetics focused, but with a lot of other branches of 
interest. Mm -hmm. And I had been looking for something that was a blend of these things. And I'd been trying to create something that was a blend of art and science and philosophy. And when I found naturopathic medicine, it already was that. And I kind of never felt something that had fit that well before. And so I did that. And uh, I think in my second year of schooling, which was five-ish years ago, when I went on the first retreat with Gabor, and I had heard about his work uh, from a few different people. I lived in the downtown east side in Vancouver, which is where a lot of his addictions book is based and where a lot of his addictions work comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a neighborhood with a, an extremely high population of homeless, drug-addicted, and dual-diagnosis uh, people. And I was living down there, so I heard about his work. and had a lot of friends that worked for some of the organizations that provide support to those people. Uh, and then I, I don't even know how I heard about his work with ayahuasca actually. And I don't know how I ended up on the mailing list, but somehow I got an email (laughs) and I applied to go on this retreat. And right around the time that that happened, uh, they put out a documentary. It's called the jungle prescription. Oh, fantastic documentary. Yeah. 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 So if you haven't seen it, absolutely. Everybody watch that one. It's, I think it's the best documentary that currently exists about ayahuasca. It's great. Uh, Yeah. And it's, you can watch it for free online. It's just 45 minutes to an hour with David Suzuki um, and Gabor's work. And it features Jacques Mabit as well. Uh, so that documentary came out. And then Health Canada called Gabor up on the phone and was like, we're sorry, you're doing what? You need to stop. <laughs> so he did. And the retreat that I was supposed to go on got canceled. And then a year later, I ended up going on my first retreat with him. Uh, so how, that did was he, how did he wind up making that happen if they canceled it on him? So they... he used to do them in Canada, and now they don't do them in oh, Canada Oh, I see. Anymore. Okay. Gotcha. So that's how they, they moved it out of the country. Gotcha. And, and as soon as I got there, I was like, this is – it felt home in, in a kind of – one of those ways that I have experienced before where this is what I want to do. Uh, so I started – yeah, and both the ceremony side of things and the daytime processing side of things. And this is Gabor has developed his kind of own, what I called compassionate inquiry, but his own style of ayahuasca processing and integration that really helps uh, bring some depth of understanding and really helps bring the mind on board for these sometimes really difficult to understand experiences. Mm. Um, it really catalyzes a deeper level of healing. Yeah. So I was really intrigued by all of that. And I started, I went back and I went back to these retreats and, and started trying to learn and then uh, and then I met his son and tried not to fall in love with him and <laughs> did anyway. You failed, doctor. <laughs> you failed. Totally failed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and then we got married and um, now I'm Tanya Mate and it's really beautiful. And we started doing this work together a little bit. So we do, we've trained with his dad in, in a kind of apprentice fashion anyway um, to try and learn as much as possible about his approach. But then... Also bringing, obviously, a lot of my own personal experience to the way that I do the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's yeah. kind of the story. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, wow. Yeah, it's like a comic book um, a superhero origin story, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you were saying that you, you knew about Gabor when you were in school or you had heard about him? It, was that, was that I correct? I had heard about him before school. Someone had mentioned his books to me. Yeah. Uh, but I had never met him until, or read his books until I went on a retreat with him. Right. Okay. Yeah. He's he's kind of this just the this presence kind of f- floating around in the in on the internet and everywhere. And it's the same kind of thing with me. Like I heard about him and I knew his work was important and I wasn't really exactly sure. And then and then I went down to the retreat and, and I met you and then you kind of introduced me further into it and the method, um, the technique, uh, if you want to call it, is. Um, 
can you explain kind of like how, so, so for me, you know, I kind of started doing psychedelics and experimenting on my own, but like you said, there's no guide, there's no one really to guide you, you know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of just like your peers, you know, maybe you're at a music festival and someone's like, Hey, you know, they want to take some shrooms or something. And you're like, cool. And you, you know, you (laughs) you you trip out and like, maybe you see cascade DJing in front of you and he's 80 feet tall you know maybe mm-hmm. something like that happens you know and you have like c- cool visual experience and you're chuckling with your friends but nobody's really no, there's no there's there's really something that's I feel like is lost in our culture um, and that is something like to the rites of uh, of, of passage like uh, mm-hmm. you know people who are coming of age young men and women um, who need to kind of be in in inducted into uh humanity or, or so something you know along those lines and and for us to have these kinds of tools and to have them not really be available because of their legality and and, and things like that and you know have them been demonized it's it's almost it's just like the wild west just people out there kids are out there and they're just eating stuff and doing stuff and nobody knows and nobody really knows what's going on and what to make of it. And you kind of have to just figure it out for yourself. And there's a lot of people that are going through a lot of emotional issues and they feel that some of these kinds of substances or plant medicines or drugs, whatever they connect to them, you know, um, whatever they, they wind up doing. And for me, psychedelics connected to me. Like I, you mm-hmm. know, I had experimented with all kinds of things, but psychedelics was really the thing where I was like, Oh, this is, this is something that can really, like, I, f- I feel like this is, this is much more than what I've been told it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, kids, when I grew up in school, it was, you know, you're going to take LSD and you're going to jump off of a, a, a roof and you're going to die and mm-hmm. you're going to go insane and all these crazy stories. Now we're, we're living in a time where people are able to be exposed to these kinds of things more, a little bit more and more, you know, there's, there's organizations out there like maps and, you know, the retreats that Gabor's doing and the work that you're doing with the temple. So it's like becoming more mainstream now. It's like really exciting. And the whole, the whole process, I guess if I have to use the word again of processing, (laughs) the (laughs) the processing of the experience was lost for so long. I mean, and now we're like, now, now it's going on. And what we experienced at the temple, what I experienced, I thought was just so, um, I mean, this is, this is like the future here. Like this is, <laughs> I, this is the future of healing. I mean, for deep, mm-hmm. deep rooted, you know, problems. And, and I, I, I went in there with expectations for sure. You know, I had heard stories, ayahuasca and, and all kinds of things. And, you know, it, it's, it's so much more than, than what you think it, it will be. And it's different every time. And the, what I thought it was going to be, you know, I'm so much, I'm so happy that it wasn't that because what mm-hmm. I got was so much better, you know, mm-hmm. so much better than any kind of like trippy visuals. I mean, that, that's, that's cool, but that's not why we're there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is not, that's not why. And a lot of people kind of associate that with it. So, um, well, what I'm, what I'm getting at is that, like this process, right? You know, this, this, this process, this is so important. You know, the, the work that you're doing is so, so important because it's not just people going into the jungle and drinking a powerful psychedelic and tripping out. This is not what's happening at all. This is people that are going down uh, to the jungle and having profound experiences, life-changing experiences, experiences that are, that are helping them deal with some traumas in their lives, things that they might have not known about. 
And then you're there with your team of people that are working with you to help guide them through this. I mean, just talk a little bit about that. Talk about the integration process, what it means to you and, and you know, how, how this like came about and your learning and understanding of it. Just to go into that a little bit, because this is the most important part as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, so there's two parts. Um, and, and the first is not about the integration, but actually the people who are facilitating the ceremonies themselves. Uh, and there's a, a very, very, very big difference between some kids doing mushrooms and going to the park or going to a festival or whatever, and then going into a ceremony with uh, indigenous or not, but people who are trained in a specific healing lineage, yeah. um, generations and generations of medicine experience, and working with plant spirits in the in the Shipibo tradition anyway, working with plants that they have spent years working with and learning from. Uh, to be able to do the kind of surgical work that people need to heal uh, in the ceremony itself. And so it's you drink ayahuasca in your living room, it's not going to be the same. Uh, and I, I also really, really strongly recommend against it um, as going to work with people who are skilled in facilitating those ceremonies. And this is true of other psychedelics as well. Mm -hmm. I, know, I know less about them, but if you do a, a psychedelic psychotherapy session where someone is actually guiding you through that experience, it's very different from doing it on your own. Uh, and then if you're looking at, at ceremony, <laughs> ceremony, ceremonial things, mm -hmm. uh, where you're actually working with spirit-assisted healthcare systems, uh, that's another level of healing that is possible. Uh, so I really want to give credit to the shamans, the maestros, the maestras who are working in these ceremonies at the temple there and anywhere else, but specifically at the temple, they're highly skilled, highly trained, highly disciplined, highly compassionate. And this work would not be possible without them. Yeah. And I just want to add to that. Like, I totally agree with you. I mean, the, the, the Shipibo shamans that we were working with, um, uh, they, they, they're in a way, like they're they're doctors i mean they they're Absolutely. they are doctors and they are so compassionate and so kind and really treat everybody with individual care and treatment and it's it's just pretty it's it's amazing to me that you have like if you had just went to an ayahuasca retreat and you had one shipibo mm -hmm. shaman there mm -hmm. and that was all that was there it was just them and then a couple other people mm -hmm. you're already getting a huge benefit but not, now mm -hmm. on top of that the the place that we were at they had five of them mm -hmm. plus you plus another facilitator other people helping out and then a supportive group of people because everybody's sharing in their group processing so it, it creates this kind of fosters this team environment and and people are it, it was just un, absolutely unbelievable i mean it's um, I think the combination of things that you have happening there from ancient tradition to newer, um, you know, Western, I guess you would say traditions is a, a phenomenal combination, uh, just a, an amazing mix. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so then back to this idea of integration, it's kind of like you can, in some psychedelic work, they'll break it down into three phases. So there's preparation, it's what you do beforehand. There's the experience, uh, which is whatever ceremony or session you have. And then there's integration, which is everything that happens after that. Uh, and so the way that we're working, there's definitely preparation that everybody's doing. I do preparation sessions with some people by Skype. And then there's the dietary restrictions and the suggested reading and things that people are encouraged to do beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, then there's the processing. And processing kind of straddles this line between 
preparation and integration because partly it's setting the stage for integration when you go back into your life. Partly it's helping people understand their experiences very soon after ceremony and partly it's helping prepare them for the next ceremony that's still coming up. So this is this kind of straddling piece that is uh, relatively unique uh, and this is what we've learned from Gabor and this is what we're trying to bring more of to the temple. Uh, and then integration is what happens when you go home and this is, you've talked about your own challenges and not very much specifically but you know there's this whole safe container that happens in the jungle and you're in this healing environment and you're connected to yourself and you're connected to other people and then you go home and i mean i can't i can hardly imagine a worse place to go integrate than manhattan <laughs> it's all right i i i went on my rooftop every night and just howled like a coyote <laughs> i got it all out of my i just you know yeah but then you <laughs> smack up against all the stuff that was there and yeah the environment that you live in was created from a certain set of beliefs that you had about yourself and is created based on a certain version of yourself that you think that you are. And then you go away and do a whole bunch of healing work and you come back. And this question of integration doesn't just apply to ayahuasca work or to psychedelic work, but anyone who's been on a long backpacking trip, you go away for a month or three months and you come home and you have changed and grown so much and everybody else seems the same. <laughs> yes, yes. How do you relate to them? How do you stay related to yourself? How do you stay connected to what's important and who you want to be? So this question of environment becomes really important. You go back into the environment that is designed, whether consciously or not, to draw out a certain version of yourself. But now you're this new healed person. You're connected with older parts of yourself, actually. So you've gotten back closer to your roots. Uh, but the environment's still the same. How do you approach that? How do you make changes that help help you stay connected to the healed version of yourself um yeah so part of the processing is really helping people interpret their experiences so a lot of what happens in day-to-day -day life is you interpret your world based on a set of beliefs that you developed at some point usually in early childhood mm -hmm. so everything runs through that filter and with ayahuasca work that filter can get stripped away really quickly uh but sometimes people will still interpret their ceremony experiences through that filter. Uh, so part of what we're doing is just helping people calibrate. We're questioning the interpretations of things to making sure to help make sure that it's happening in the clearest way possible for people. So we don't actually interpret it for them. We just help people to make clear interpretations for themselves. Yes, uh, I, I noticed that. And I remember the first day that we had a group processing session, I remember thinking to myself, damn, she's good. Like, I remember thinking, <laughs> I remember thinking, like, you are just so good. And um, the other person that was there, too, I don't know if she wants to be named, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. So we'll just. Yeah, <laughs> the other person that was there as well that was helping uh, facilitate the group. And I'm like, the, these, these people are, are incredible because, you know, I, I have such a tendency to be like, you, you know, you're, you're just very good at, at, at walking people down the path to helping them answer their own questions a lot of times when people are sharing and in, in the group and i notice the the answer is right in what they're saying and mm -hmm. it's just the, it's just a matter of kind of getting them to see that and getting them to do that and i thought you handled that very well very very gently and with care um unlike a person like me who would just be like this is what's <laughs> wrong with you i know what it is you know uh, but, uh, I'm learning. I'm still learning. I got, I got, I got a bunch of books. I got a bunch of homework I'm doing. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's wonderful. Um, and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Do you, do you have some more to say or? Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, okay. but I always, <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's part of the beauty of the approach. And it's something that, I mean, I'm still learning too. I'm always still learning, but really helping people see it for themselves. 
uh, it's so much more powerful when it happens that way. Yeah, explain. Just what does that feel like for you? You know, when you're when you're helping someone like that and you're working them through that. I mean, explain that the feeling that you get. Aha, uh-huh, that's a great question. It's way more fun also when you help someone see it for themselves than just yeah, telling them. Right. Uh, it's kind of like playing with a child. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever like walked around the city. It's almost like when the child is showing you things. Like you're yeah. walking around, but they have such a an innocent and open worldview. And, you know, they see things that us busy people tend to just skip over, like birds and animals and, and colors and things. And when they point that out to you and you see it, and when there's like when you're actually able to get into the imaginative space and see it from that child's point of view, it's so magical. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, and and it would go the other direction too. Like when you're trying to teach a child how to do something, or say you're say you're drawing a picture with a child, uh, but really giving them the space to create something, it's way more fun than if you like take their hand and and draw a perfect circle with them. But really allowing for the process to unfold. I think that's that's beautiful the way that you put that and. I feel like that is a microcosm for our culture, our world. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many people that are, uh, unfortunately, some of the, of the heavy influencers in our society uh, want to tell us the way that things should be done and want to do it for us instead of, you know, letting people have free choices to make for themselves and, and kind of giving people a little bit more of trust and, and, and things like that. And unfortunately... Uh, I mean, my personal opinion is that we live in a very uh, sick kind of world in, in this world. And that's that's one of the main things that I've noticed since I've been back is just, I mean, I've always noticed that. So <laughs> it's always <laughs> it's always been my thing. But uh, it's, it's difficult uh, to kind of not l- lecture for me, for me personally. It's difficult for me to not lecture other people and to show them, you know what I mean? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, but it's that constant. I think one of the things is, um, one of the things I learned is that I don't necessarily need to have, you know, I'm not going to be this peaceful, you know, Buddha, Adyashante kind of guy who's going to mm-hmm. be meditating on a mountain, you know, 24 seven in perfect bliss and, and with harmony. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily the idea of, of, um, healing or, or awakening to uh, a higher level of consciousness uh, as I feel like I've experienced, but it's more so noticing what's going on in my life more. Like I feel uh, way more present uh, mm-hmm. than I've ever been. And I, I'm still the, still the emotion, you know, I'll still get angry. I'll still, things will happen. I'll have the, uh, inc- you know, I'll have the feeling like I want to force my way. You know, I want to show you with, how it's done mm-hmm. but I, I'm acknowledging that more now I'm bringing mm-hmm. myself back into uh, is that something that you see with a lot of people with with these ayahuasca integrations that are going on after like are are you working with people that are experiencing similar types of things uh in terms, I mean, one thing I heard you talking about is this kind of this awareness. Awareness, this yeah, kind of exactly. Separation, uh, and even even Adyashanti, who doesn't live on a mountain, <laughs> right? I remember he says something like, yeah, "I still have thoughts, I just don't believe them anymore." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there becomes this gap between what's happening and and this identification with your emotions and your thoughts and who you think you are, and then actually a little bit of space to take a moment and observe it. And sometimes outwardly, it doesn't actually look any different yet. Uh, and you see this with addiction all the time, like that awareness is actually the first step. 
And you might choose to do the exact same things, but if you're aware that you're doing it, it's not coming from an unconscious place anymore. So there's actually a level of awakeness to that. Right. So even if you're talking to someone and you're trying to fix what their, what their problem is or you're talking over top of them or what doesn't, like however it's coming out, if you can see yourself doing it, it's so much more powerful than if you didn't know you were doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the more uh, you yeah. can observe it happening, the less hold it will have and over time it shifts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that takes some time. It takes some time and it takes practice and it takes effort and it takes intentionality. If you don't want it to change, then it's not going to. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's that's something uh that's a really great point you just made. And I think I'm pretty sure that you said that in your most recent article on um NDNR, uh was mm -hmm. that right? Yeah, article on the ayahuasca tradition context and clinical applications. It's a people want to they 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 have to want to be healed, right? They have to want to know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there has to be effort. There has to be a willingness and there has to be a dedication. And, you know, and this happens in, in stages and layers too, you know. Sometimes people will not be ready yet. And at some point, the discomfort of staying in your patterns becomes greater than taking the leap. Mm. And only you can say when that point is. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, a lot of people that listen to this show um, have messaged me um, asking me about, uh, ayahuasca and they, they said, I feel like I really relate to you and you know what you've said. And so just to those people, like, you know, this isn't something that's just magic. I mean, well, it is pretty magical, but it's not, <laughs> it's not, a, you know, it's not something that's going to, you, you need to put in the work, right? You need to have the intentions. And, and that's something that we did with each ceremony. We would set intentions mm -hmm. and, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about, about the setting of the intention uh, for, for healing with ayahuasca? Yeah, sure. And just on the idea of magic, too. Uh, you know, ayahuasca is totally mysterious. Mm -hmm. It lets us tap into the great mystery of life. And I like the word magic, too. But magic in a, in a more psychological sense is like something that happens instantly, something you think you have control over. And in that sense, like ayahuasca is not a pill that you can take that's just going to take all your problems away. It's not a magic wand. Uh, it's definitely something that you have to show up and you have to do the work and, and setting a strong intention is part of doing that work. Um, and so ayahuasca is a doctor and a teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, so part of, part of what happens is comes in and heals you in the places that you need to be healed. It'll go to energetic blocks in your body and to traumas and, and help loosen those things up. Uh, and then part of, part of one aspect of ayahuasca is this teacher aspect. Who can actually teach you things uh, about yourself um, and about the world. And if you imagine like hiking up to the top of a mountain to meet this guru and you have one question to ask, you know, if, if you're going to go that far, you're going to put some effort into what that question is that you actually ask, I would hope. You, like one way of doing it is to go up there and be like, all right, I don't know. Uh, can you please tell me something that will help me? I'm totally open. That's one way of doing it, and there's nothing wrong with that. Or in my head, I actually imagine a teacher like standing at a chalkboard, and he's like a really cool teacher. And this young student comes up to ask him, like, mm. "Hey, I want to be your student. Can you teach me?" And the teacher's like, "Okay, what do you want to learn?" And the student's like, "I don't know." Mm. <laughs> and it's like that's all right, because if it's a if he's a masterful teacher, and ayahuasca is very much a masterful teacher, it's going to teach you anyway. It's going to find the things that you need. But the more you can actually meet ayahuasca or meet the medicine with what it is that you're working on uh, the deeper you'll be able to go and the greater the level of healing you'll be able to achieve so say you have a behavior in your life uh what's a what's a good one 
Um, how about uh, alcoholism? Yeah, sure. Addictions are, are good examples of things, actually, because everybody has them to some extent. But say, say you have alcoholism. You drink. You don't really want to be drinking anymore. Uh, you can go to ayahuasca and say, I don't want to be an alcoholic anymore. Can you help me with this? But the deeper you're actually able to get into the motivation of the alcoholism, like the purpose that the... Starting to stutter. Yeah. <laughs> Getting excited. <laughs> the, the purpose that the alcohol is serving as an escape, what emotions you're trying to avoid by drinking, um, the more specific and the deepest you can go with that, the the more you're actually meeting the medicine, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes total sense. And uh, this is something that I, I find really fascinating. And so actually I was talking in, in a Facebook group earlier today uh, with some people and the addiction came up and mm-hmm. I was, I was kind of speaking about it. Like I, like I really know because I'm like halfway through uh, Gabor's book. Mm-hmm. So I'm, uh, I'm really, uh, I can really speak on this matter now, you know, but, You're an expert. Uh, yeah, I'm a real expert <laughs> now. Yeah. Might as well just put a doctor in front of my name. Why not? Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's interesting the kind of like resistance that you get from some people because they're like, no, you know, you don't understand this is an addictive thing. And it's like, well, okay, well, what, What's causing this addiction? You know, a lot of times. So I think, from my understanding, it was in Gabor's work and, and the work that you're doing. Uh, there's things that we develop out mm-hmm. of certain emotions that have certain things that have happened to us when we were uh, between ages zero to seven or so, right? Five or seven, mm-hmm. and we develop these coping mechanisms, deal with things, and addiction is one of those. Uh, coping mechanisms to, to kind of fill a void uh, in our life. We're not really addressing the real issue. We're we're burying it down, and and an addiction can be can be anything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally an expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the definition of addiction uh, is any behavior, uh, whether it's with a substance or a behavior or anything, anything that despite causing harm, you persist in. And that can be harm to yourself or harm to the people around you. Uh, so it's really a subjective uh, definition. You have to be the one, you or your, the people close to you have to be the ones to say whether or not what you're doing is causing harm. You know, at a physiological level, there's things that happen with tolerance and dependence and these kinds of things, but that's actually uh, less interesting to me than the actual uh, addictive process. You know, you can have an addiction to anything and you can have a healthy relationship with anything it's not the substance or behavior that is inherently addictive but the relationship with it that is coming from a place of trying to escape uh, and trying to escape pain and you know what's wrong with trying to escape pain yeah really there's nothing wrong with it it's, it's one way of doing things um, and for a lot of people it's the only way of doing things if it's something that provides relief something that provides comfort, something that provides numbing when there aren't any other options, why wouldn't you do that thing? Uh, But again, at some point, the discomfort of doing it and the cost of doing it becomes so great that something else must be necessary. And this is where, you know, this is people declare bottom where people hit bottom. You can declare bottom at any time. And this is where AA works from. Um, With AA, they don't really go to the trauma. And the definition of trauma is not what happened, but the disconnect from yourself that happened as a result of that thing. But with AA, they don't really go to childhood experiences. And some people will talk about it, but that's not the focus of that work. And it kind of 
to me, is a very important piece if true healing is to occur. Uh, so AA is really helpful uh, in all the whole, anything anonymous, all the 12-step programs. They, they have done a lot of good work for a lot of people. Um, and they don't necessarily get to the roots of where the addiction comes from. Yeah, they don't they don't get to the root. But if if somebody, I guess if somebody gets some benefit out of it, I mean, who are we to say that that's not good? I mean, I guess it's it's good if you get benefit out of it, but um ultimately I personally want to I want to get I want to go deep. I want to know the root causes of of everything. Do hmm. you do you have uh, any personal experience with any sort of kind of ailment or um, add- addiction or, or something that you were working on uh, originally that, that, that like you made you, you know, you had like a profound change or a moment or anything like that that you would feel comfortable yeah, talking yeah. about? Uh, well, yeah, for, let me talk about my addiction first. Cause it's kind of funny. Uh, but then I'll talk about what, how I, what I was actually a funny addiction. It's kind of funny in that. <laughs> were it, you like one of those well, people that eat like plastic or something? No, no, no. It's okay. not that funny. It's just kettle chips. You know kettle brand chips? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have had I – mean, I get ongoing addictions to food from time to time. Like uh-huh. there used to be this one kind of gluten-free cookie that you could only get at one store. Uh, and when I was in school, like I would leave class early to go get these cookies. And I would not buy one but two of them so that I could have one for the morning as well. And it was mm-hmm. like this – this seeking, this cookie seeking behavior. <laughs> yeah, cookie seeking habit, right? <laughs> yeah. And same with kettle chips. Like I would go to the store and I would not buy kettle chips. I'd be like, nope, that's all right. Like I don't need these. I don't need to eat these. And I would leave and I would go home and three hours later I'd be like, all right, where's the nearest store that's open? I need to get some kettle chips right now. <laughs> and <laughs> tried many times to stop and could not stop and when I went to the temple for the first time last November I came back and I didn't have a kettle chip addiction anymore and it wasn't I mean there wasn't a particular thing that I associated with it in the first place uh-huh. uh, like I didn't find the particular trauma that was causing me to be addicted to kettle chips right. but, but I noticed the complete absence of it when I came back which was pretty cool <laughs> wow yeah that is pretty cool I mean because I feel like I've I've totally been there my, myself and uh it's such a strange behavior that, yeah. that 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 internal monologue of going okay i gotta i gotta get a snickers bar i got i'm i, I if i don't have a snickers bar right now i'm gonna be very upset i need to i need a I need a snickers bar before i go to class i gotta get those kettle chips you know whatever it is it's like if if someone was uh listening to that internal monologue <laughs> it'd be like what is this person crazy but yeah that there's there's are there are all these kinds of different forms of addiction and um actually I had a similar thing like I I've been my my relationship to food has been so much better since I've been back from the temple mm-hmm. and and I can't say that like I found necessarily the root cause really or or, or whatever of of some of the food but I just for whatever reason, I just feel like eating a lot healthier and I have been and mm-hmm. I feel great. And, uh, you know, I'm actually, I haven't eaten pork or beef since I've been back and, uh, great. I've remained kind of gluten free as well. And, uh, awesome. yeah, I think I've lost like 10 pounds. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it just feels good. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really like nothing really particularly like, ha- like specifically happened where I was like, Oh, like my dad used to beat me. So that's why I like, pork you know something you know like there's nothing that like that that happened i just feel like that is now is that is that another thing like 
So, you know, talking about this, the ayahuasca experience, going deep, you know, in the room with the bull, all this stuff, the, the mm -hmm. intention, the preparation, the integration afterwards. But sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes ayahuasca just kind of works on you. Like, I, 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 like, I feel like, you know, this, using this example, I just feel like I want to be better, uh, mm -hmm. with my diet and nothing. And I didn't really get to the root of anything or find anything that, that was traumatic in my past that led me to food or anything like that. I just feel good. And I feel like ayahuasca maybe went into my gut or went into my brain and rewired some things. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's possible. I bet if we looked, we could find the connection. Uh, just like I bet if I looked a little bit closer, I could, I mean, I know what, I know what purpose food serves for me and it, it really is a numbing. Uh, I'm very sensitive and I get overwhelmed easily. And if I keep a lot of garbage foods in my system, I'm less sensitive. <laughs> okay, Why yeah. the addiction to that specific thing? Why only that kind of kettle chip or only that kind of cookie? I don't know. Um, but like it's not like you just went down and, and ayahuasca did some stuff to you. Like you did some really deep personal work. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you can draw a direct connection from whatever you were working on from your own childhood and your own life experience to overeating or or unhealthy eating, whatever work you did that allowed you to get in right relationship with yourself and to develop a greater sense of self worth, uh, whatever this is, it's directly related whether you can see it or not. Right. Okay. So it's, it's, it's something that kind of happened. Uh, but I, I just wasn't really fully aware of it because to be honest, I mean the, the, the five ceremonies in total, it felt like a, almost like a thousand years. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that happened. I mean, you know, I was, I turned into a coyote you know, I was growling. I was doing uh, secret karate one night. Like mm -hmm. there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that happened and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, I'm really glad that I, I wrote everything down and, you know, I was drawing pictures and things like that because I really, and talking about this now, actually it, it continues to help me in my process as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, so, so this is great. So you, so let's talk a little bit about, um, the, how, so how did the, the second group go when, uh, when your husband came out to work with you? Did you notice a difference in, uh, between the group that you worked with uh, when I was there? Or was there, you know, uh, did it seem like, okay, we, we kind of know what we're doing now with this, with this program that we have here? Or just uh, Yeah. It was yeah. A little, but before I do that, I did say I was going to share something more personal than oh, just right. the kettle chips. Oh, uh, that's right. I so forgot. Yeah. Just Go not ahead. to, you know, Please, <laughs> bait no. people. <laughs> hey, you're the doctor. I'm not going to, you know. Uh, yeah. So when I first uh, came to Ayahuasca, I had been hit by a car maybe a year before that. Oh. Uh, I was on my bike uh, riding on commercial drive in Vancouver and a truck was turning left and had waited for some pedestrians to cross and then didn't see me and turned into me. And it wasn't that bad of an accident, but I ended up with kind of like, I didn't fall off my bike, but I got whiplash of my whole spine basically. Ooh. And then it just wouldn't get better. Uh, and I was doing everything. I was seeing a naturopathic doctor and I was seeing a chiropractor and I was seeing a Chinese medicine person and I was seeing physiotherapists and massage therapists. And it's like nothing that I was doing was making it better. And over this period of time, I actually had like worsening symptoms of PTSD. Mm. So people would touch me and I would totally freak out. Mm. Uh, I would get triggered, I'd panic, I'd freeze, I'd cry. I was having panic attacks. I couldn't sleep. Uh, and 
it didn't really make any sense. It wasn't connected to the accident. It was like riding my bike was fine. I didn't get scared of trucks. I didn't get scared of bikes, but I had these reactions to touch that were really strange. Um, so the first couple of ceremonies I did, uh, I got in a new relationship with pain and my back stopped hurting and I started sleeping again and I recognized a whole bunch of awesome things about myself um, and had some healing for a while, like some ease. And then I started going deeper because then I, ke I kept falling off my bike and I kept falling off my bike and I kept falling off my bike. And I was like, what is going on? Wow. My interpretation of it is the universe was just like, hey, wake up. <laughs> Like, there's something more to look at here. Um, so then I, I kept going to ceremony and, and went really deep into my own childhood, um, uncovered some traumatic memories uh, from there. And I, I had memories of sexual abuse come back uh, that I didn't have previous to that. And this is something that happens for a lot of people in ceremony and for some people uh, it's one way that ayahuasca tries to show them a... Uh, a greater theme on the underlying emotions. And then for other people, it's something that really happened. Um, and for a long time I was just in a, a place of, you know what? I don't really know for, I might never know for sure if this really happened. Uh, but I'm going to deal with what's coming up as a result anyway. So I spent, I mean, I spent a good year at least being scared to leave the house and having to wear like one particular scarf and one particular pair of socks that a friend gave me and one crystal in this pocket and one crystal in this pocket. I could barely get on the, the SkyTrain or the subway. Um, and just all this deep, deep fear was coming out of me for a long time. Uh, and, you know, worked through that and, and kept going deeper and started dieting plants and, and have found an incredible amount of healing, but I've done, like, I've had to go to those places over and over and over again, and it hasn't been easy. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. So that that was, uh, wow. Well, I'm glad we went back to that because, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's some serious stuff. Uh, yeah. So getting hit by this truck mm -hmm. triggered this old trauma to come back. And yeah. then you investigated it for a long time. And then mm -hmm. eventually, did you get, you got to the bottom of it or? Yeah. I mean, where I'm at right now is I believe that it happened, uh, that it actually happened. It still doesn't really matter that much whether it happened or didn't happen because all of the things that I experienced, uh, in terms of the fear and the body reactions and everything like those were real. It doesn't matter what they were happening in response to. Right. Um, but this is a really common thing that, that happens is people will have some kind of accident and that actually triggers either chronic pain or some kind of like the stress of that becomes too great for their body to handle. So it shuts down in some kind of way. So whether that shows up as depression or mental illness or, or fibromyalgia or pain or whatever, uh, people can either get stuck with that and start taking medications or you can look deeper and ask like, what is my body actually trying to tell me with right. all of this stuff? And that's a long and difficult road, but it's worth it. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's worth it because. And is is this what what's considered to be a holistic approach? When Maybe the, with the body, can, the mind, and the body connection. Yeah, the from my perspective, yeah, you know, there's a lot of holistic practitioners who don't look at trauma and who don't really look at the roots of things. Uh, they might work with energetic stuff or 
where they might look at uh, biochemical pathways, and that's their definition of the root of things. So one of the guiding principles of naturopathic medicine is to treat the root cause. And from my perspective, the root cause of anything chronic is always psychospiritual. You have to look at those underlying emotions, those underlying beliefs, and the disconnect from spirit. Uh, otherwise, you're not actually treating the root. But there are people who believe different things. So it's not to say that they're doing it wrong. They're just doing it differently. Right, right. And and sometimes people don't necessarily, uh, the people that are affected by these things don't necessarily want to uh, get to the root cause, right? They don't really necessarily, they're afraid or... Not, exactly. Not ready yeah, to, I had yeah. One of our teachers in school said she would give her patients, she would draw a dandelion and above ground, they're like, here's this weed you have to deal with. Up here are your symptoms. There's these dandelion seeds blowing in the wind. Those are your symptoms. If you want to really get to, like, if you want to make it so that it doesn't come back again, you have to dig out the roots. This is going to take this, not that you can predict how long it's going to take, but this is going to be really hard work and we have to go into this stuff. We can just give you some stuff that's going to help with these symptoms. What would you like to do? And then people actually have a choice as to whether they're going deep or just dealing with the symptoms. And neither of those is a wrong choice. People have to choose for themselves what level of healing they're looking for. Right. Yes. It, it, but do, do you think that uh, on some level as a society or a uh, culture that, that we are in here in the North American kind of Western culture, that there's, there's a, a way that seems to be kind of pushing itself on us to, to, to go this way. I mean, this kind of mainstream, if you will, way, um, and with other kinds of alternative therapies and healing and things like that are not necessarily encouraged. I mean, maybe, maybe they're starting to be now. Uh, I'm not really quite sure. I don't, yeah, but, but that they're still called alternative therapies. So right, just, there you <laughs> go. Yeah, exactly. Well, not uh, necessarily yeah. yeah, no, Gabor is hopefully working on a book called Toxic Culture. Mm. Uh, that's exactly about this, Western so the alienation of Western society and the way that it's making us sick. Right. Because uh, we're disconnected from ourselves, we're disconnected from each other, and the solution tends to be more. More numbing, more stimulation, more anything. Uh, to avoid what's really going on. And there's widespread denial of trauma in mainstream medicine. Uh, and it's it's a necessary piece of what's going on. More and more people are getting traumatized all the time. And yeah. there's all these chronic illnesses that we don't know how to deal with. Absolutely, if we want to affect change at a societal level, people have to do their own work first. This is what there's a people have to do their own work first. <laughs> I want to yeah, yeah. quote he, a Beatles lyric, but it's... Oh, you know, what, what, what's it, which, what was it? It's from Revolution. It's something like, you want to change the world, you got to free your mind instead. Ah. you got to start with yourself. That's, that's so true. And, uh, you know, that's something that I've learned too. It's like, you know, there's... When I look out at the... At the you know, the life that we're in here, it seems that we, we are kind of as a human species, we're seem to be building all these tools and all these things and all these gadgets and all this technology and flying into space with all these uh, stuff that's supposed to detect alien life. And, um, you know, the, the wars and the new, new technology that they're making for bombs and things like that. And it's like all this kind of pushing out, where's the where's the in where's the going in you know mm -hmm. where's the where's the advancement of the spiritual realm I, I saw this article the other day of like um i think it was like 
30 under 30 or maybe this was like last year actually not the other day but it was like <laughs> yeah 30 people that you should be paying attention to who are making a difference in the world and it's all like these entrepreneurs that are in this like tech space and and silicon valley and facebook uh-huh. and stuff and it's like where where's the spiritual leaders where's like the the cultural you know the the the, the cultural kind of uh, like opposition to to this material reductionist kind of way this like technology machine empire building way uh-huh. i mean where's where is that we've it seems like we're really losing that um but you know thankfully for for people like yourself and you know a couple other people just a few other people you know <laughs> <laughs> you guys are you guys are, are kind of bringing this back and that's why i said before when you were the work that you're doing at the temple it's this combination of the ancient way and the western way and and it's the few I, I believe it's the future of healing uh for our civilization for our society to kind of bring people back to to sit them down to wake them up um so so yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know where I was going with that. I just kind of my own thoughts in that in that way. It just seems like we keep to be we keep looking out and out and more and more, but it's really inside that we need to go. And it seems okay. like that that inside part, for whatever reason, just gets looked at as some kind of other thing, just some okay. kind of eh, you know, um, just some some silly bullshit that you you know, you know, just go to a therapist and talk about it, or here take these pills or, or whatever. Yeah, but, I saw a nice cartoon recently. It was yeah. like, I don't, like whoever's creating the world. Maybe you even posted this. Like someone's creating the universe. It's like, where are we going to hide the secret to the universe? Like, should we put it on the highest mountain? Oh yeah, no that way. was me. Man, yeah, 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 that yeah. was you. Yeah, I posted yeah, that. Good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so the, the, I got that from this guy uh, Wim Hof. He's uh, a Dutch, um, I guess. I don't know what he's what he what he he would be labeled as, but basically one of the things that I knew I had to do when I came back from the temple. Uh, from my ayahuasca experience was I needed to develop a daily morning practice uh-huh. to keep me in the state of mind that I that I wish to continue to be in, the, to this awakened temple state of mind, as I call it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, what can I do? And I was like, eh, you know, what, what, what's calling to me? Anyway, I found this, this method, and it's a breathing practice. It's a combination of breathing, meditation, and yoga. And it was developed by this Dutch, I guess, daredevil. This guy, he, uh, <laughs> his name's Wim Hof. He he hiked uh, Mount Everest in only nothing but his shorts. He holds like Guinness Book of World Records for being submerged in ice without having his core body temperature changed. Wow. Phen- yeah, phenomenal individual. So his whole thing is about mind over matter and going in and, and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I've been doing that every day and it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's just the best way to start my day for me. And, um, yeah, that's where I got that, that from about the, about the spirit, about the soul. So we're coming up on, on about an hour now and I don't want to keep you too long. Um, but, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about maybe like, you know, your vision for the future. Like, where do you see this going? Where do you, you know, what, what are your goals? Uh, t- tell me about kind of the things that you want to accomplish, you know, with your work and, and where you see uh, this kind of work and, and specifically your work headed within the mm-hmm. next, you know, five to 10 years or so. Yeah. Well, ayahuasca is so popular. Um, <laughs> I mean, and I, I know mostly about ayahuasca, you know, it gets lumped into psychedelic categories, but it's, uh, I don't consider it a, a psychedelic necessarily. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's not I'll, the point. I, actually, know. well, I just I want to say because <laughs> the name of my show is called Mikeadelic, and it's yeah. funny because I originally started the show uh, before I started the show before I had ever had an ayahuasca experience, uh-huh. and now my view is totally changed. I am so much like 
in love with ayahuasca and and I don't look at it in that in those terms anymore and I feel like uh it's still kind of in me and a part of me and I'm much more interested in the inner kind of cultivation uh spiritual kind of uh realm of things rather than uh the psychedelic trippy drug aspect which is totally not the case for ayahuasca yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Michael Waska doesn't sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on the psychedelic side of things, you know, they expect uh, MDMA to be legal for psychotherapeutic purposes in the next five years. Yes. Uh, psilocybin as a as a pure compound should be close on its heels, and these measurable doses of things should be legal. And this is amazing because some of the research that's coming out with these things, like these are helping heal and cure conditions that have no hope in Western medicine treatment-resistant PTSD and depression and anxiety associated with end-of-life. Like, this is a really, really incredible result and being published in mainstream journals. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. Uh, on the ayahuasca side of things, like, for me, it's more, you know, it's one thing to be able to use these substances and still work within the paradigm of Western medicine and Western society, uh, but I'm more interested in, in getting outside of that. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily opposing it, but what else is out there? How can we actually do things in a way that is conscious, in a way that is connected? Uh, and ayahuasca done in ceremony and, and with people uh, who have experience and training in traditions um, is, is a really powerful way to do that. You know, there's, there's pros and cons, I guess, to the popularity of ayahuasca, but in terms of the the pros, it's, it's helping get people connected to themselves and to spirit in a really rapid way uh, that can sometimes be disorienting, uh, but for the most part, I think can be really, really helpful if it's done in a safe and responsible and supported way. Um, so part of my vision is is that everybody who comes to ceremony has preparation and integration support, and that's part of what my role at the temple is is really helping make sure that people are connected and providing a lot of that support myself. We also have a team of therapists and and integration facilitators that we're working with so that everybody can really make sure they're getting help. Uh, Because when people just go back into their lives and don't talk to anybody, it it doesn't work. Um, I want to write a book (laughs) right now. The two books that I recommend the most are uh, The Presence Process by Michael Brown and The End of Your World by Adi Ashanti. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, I have that book as well. Nice. Yeah, it's right. The end of your world is, as far as I'm concerned, the best book about integration that's currently out there. But mm-hmm. it's not about integration at all. So, <laughs> some kind of book about integration and best practices and, and how to approach uh, like a plant spirit connected life back in Western society. Like this is what I want to write about. Um, and on a you know part of you know I, I love working with the temple for so many reasons but they're really committed to uh, sustainability and reciprocity and, and finding sustainable sources of ayahuasca and giving back to the Amazon and uh, you know planetary healing environmental healing not just individual healing but the way that healing at the individual level actually has a, a ricochet effect into greater levels of existence into communities and into ecosystems um uh, I'm really interested in, in staying affiliated with that and seeing where that goes so that, I don't know, so that we're not just throwing our garbage out the window anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was so amazed at, uh, and I did I did a whole uh, four-part storytelling series mm-hmm. about my, my what led me to ayahuasca and my trip down, and I kind of chronicled that whole thing. And I actually labeled one episode the Temple of the Way of Light because I found myself 
just praising it the entire uh, episode because, you know, it, it was an absolute, like, miracle that I, like, wound up there. I had originally signed up for some other retreat, uh-huh. you know, got a bad feeling, canceled it. All of a sudden, a spot opened up out of nowhere because they were originally booked, and I guess someone backed out. I was able to get there. And then just the the entire, what you just talked about, not just... And it's not just one thing. It's a whole uh-huh. multifaceted healing on a planetary level, societal level, communal level, individual, all in, in, in sync together. And what an amazing place that they've created there. And uh, I, so how can we get our entire world to look like that? Like, how can we, <laughs> how can we, how can we get like, you know, I'm, I'm going for the big you know, I'm going for the big unanswerable questions right here. It's the end of the episode, and I want to I want to get something. You know, like like how do we how do we achieve that? I mean, how yeah. how can you we? You got to start with where you are. Yeah, <laughs> you got to start with where you are. So you have to start. You have to start with yourself, and you have to start with your your individual process, and then you can go on to help your community, and and so on and so forth, right? In theory, sure. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that big question. I think it's a great question to, you know, leave people with. Like, yeah. how, how do you actually create the world that you want? And not and creating the world that you want is quite different from changing the world that is, because I think it really does have to start with full acceptance of how things are, including yes. yourself, including the world, including the state of everything. Like, this is how it is right now. Oh, my God, this is how it is right now. How do I want it to be? Not how can I change this thing, but how do I actually, what do I actually want to create and how can we do that together? Yeah. So what would you, what would you say to people that are, you know, thinking about like they're interested, um, in coming down there or, you know, the, why I know you have a website. Why don't you just um, tell people where they can find you and, and, uh, where to go. And if they're interested in, in ayahuasca, what, you know, some things that they could resources they can find. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so the Nature of Things documentary that I mentioned, uh, The Jungle Prescription, that's a great one to watch. Uh, there's also a play called Medicine by my friend TJ Daw. Mm-hmm. You can watch that on YouTube. It's about his experience at a Gabor retreat, and it's really beautiful. Um, for people with general interest in ayahuasca and wanting to know more about that, the Temple website, uh, templeofthewayoflight.org, actually has some of the best content out there. Uh, it's it's pretty extensive and pretty unbiased uh, in terms of the information that it provides about tradition and culture and ayahuasca work. Um, iSears.org, mm. I-C-E-E-R-S, uh, also has a lot of really great information about ayahuasca and about ibogaine, or iboga. Uh, and then my website is drtanyamate.com, D-R-T-A-N-Y-A-M-A-T-E.com. And I'm happy to connect with people. I can answer a lot of questions myself by email. And then if people want to do actual sessions, we can do those by Skype too. Oh, so you do sessions uh, over Skype with, with people that are they're interested with in working? Explain how does, how does that go? Yeah, more I do prep sessions for people who are already committed to it. Oh, okay. Uh, just because if I was doing FAQ sessions for people all the time, it would take up a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do tend, in Vancouver, I go for people, I go for coffee with people quite a bit when people are interested in it. And, you know, depending on my availability and the person's interest level and how specific their questions actually are, I'm happy to give some of my time to doing that. Uh, but sessions generally are more for people who are already committed to it. But in terms of answering questions by email, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, great. That's uh, that's great. So it's it's uh, Doctor 
tanyamate.com. I'll put some <laughs> links up uh, when I post this and stuff like that for Sweet. for people. Yeah, because um, yeah, I, I just think that like you're doing you're doing really great work, and and this is uh this is the the future of healing. This is this is <laughs> it. I mean, we're he- we're headed down a dark path, but it doesn't. We don't have to go that way. We can all we can all see Dr. Tanya Mate and get get, get healed. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Tanya, for for being on. And um, yeah, go check uh, check out her stuff. Go to the Temple website, and uh, I'll post those links. And uh, it was great having you on. Great conversation. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. You got it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> 